All right. Okay. So we need to mute this fan. Hello, YouTube Live. find a way to mute the fan on that camera real quick. Excellent. And that's recording and that's recording so that's what we're looking at. Go over here to YouTube while we're hanging out see if anybody comes around and while we're doing that we'll check out this audio and see how it sounds and that sounds pretty good Okay, so that sounds pretty good. Uh, okay, so we're gonna let YouTube roll for just a second. I'm gonna get the Facebook Live up and running. And tell you what we're talking about today is gonna be a little bit of truth, love, and peace, and some fear power and novelty dun, 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 dun. Piece two, ready, set, live. And it's already trying to reconnect, which is wonderful. Woo! <coughs> As I almost fall over. All right. So, we should now have two live feeds up yes we do mm. all right so thanks for joining us um, cannot see your Facebook comments tonight, unfortunately. 
but thank you so much for being here. Um, I yeah. So anyway, if that gets messed up, that gets messed up. Nothing we can do about it. Uh, while we are waiting on some things to come up, what's up, Robbie Holder? Cool. I can see some comments coming in from this angle. I like that. Uh, so tonight, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome to Truth, Love, and Peace. This is episode number two, amazingly enough. Uh, and if something goes wrong with the Facebook Live, then um, the YouTube live stream is at Compton Smith. Check it out. It's higher quality, better audio, uh, and it's a little more permanent. Uh, what's up, Rich? Um, so yeah, check out the YouTube. Uh, thanks for joining us on Facebook. Um, and I'm going to close this computer so it quits eating up Wi-Fi. So, yeah. We don't need that. For the moment. Um, so, as the time ticks by and I am checking everything. First episode, what I wanted to get out there was the foundation and the overview of truth, love, and peace. My personal philosophy, my worldview, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's what I use to make sense of the world. <laughs> and uh, that was just getting that out there. So truth is um, the power portion. Love is the emotional portion. Power control. Love is the emotional portion, the feeling portion, and uh, peace is the context, circumstance portion. Um, but that's not where the whole theory started. So the, we got that out there in the first one, and that's where all of this is going, and that's the ideal form of this, and that's those are the ideas that I carry around with me uh, all the time because when I first came up with the groundwork for this whole thing, it was not that nice and not that pretty. And so tonight I wanted to tell you a little bit about the origin of this whole theory while telling you a little bit about uh, the other side of it and the, the foundation of it. Uh, so when I was 26, I went back to school and was taking a intro to rhetorical theory class. And... Uh, <clears throat> So you could say there were two parts of my life. There was before Chris Tabor and after Chris Tabor. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say her name on here. That's not her name anymore. But anyway, um, she was an incredible teacher at the University of Cincinnati and um, posed a question in Intro to Rhetorical Theory one day uh, that was uh, real simple. Just what do you believe? We were talking about ontologies and axiologies and epistemologies and all those wonderful things that Plato and Socrates and and Aristotle uh, taught us about. And uh, the, the question simply was, uh, what do you believe? And, and do you really believe all of those things that you say you believe? And I got to thinking, uh, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be able to answer that question. So that got the ball rolling. And from there, I started evaluating everything that I 
thought I knew and, and believed and had to go back and reconcile all of my beliefs so that they all work together. And uh, one of the points was a lot of people hold beliefs that contradict each other. And I didn't want that to be a part of my worldview. To me, that's too easy to poke holes in. So you have to have uh, continuity. It all has to work together. And so if, if I choose to believe in a soul, then I have to understand the science of how a soul could possibly work. Because if I can't explain how this thing could be, having a belief in it uh, didn't didn't really work for me. I mean, there we, we can talk more about what faith and belief is and how it's valuable to uh, to have a faith in some things that are that are not tangible. But in this case, I wanted to be able to verify as much as I could, and uh, and so that set me on this course of understanding. I was in the process of of learning a lot more than just uh, communication theory at that point in time. I was getting my hands on all kinds of stuff uh, as as much as I could and trying to absorb as much as I could and figure out uh, what of my belief systems I could keep and what I couldn't keep. And I wanted to come up with the communication, the human behavior, psychology version of the theory of everything. And that was a little too grandiose, even though I, I it's a theory of a lot of things. Uh, but that was kind of my goal was to come up with this this great theory about uh, communication and I was really uh, impressed by a guy named Kenneth Burke who wrote a theory called the dramatistic pentad and in which he discusses motives and how when you listen to a story you can usually ascertain where the truth is by the pieces of the story that have been left out by the storyteller and I thought that was great I thought that was hilarious and so I wanted to learn more about that and as I got into understanding his work and more communication theory and more of the the terminology for the things that I was naturally good at uh, I decided that I was gonna follow in Kenneth Burke's footsteps and try and write theory about theory which is meta theory um, so rather than just try and better understand motivation, I was going to write a theory about motivation theories and try and understand why people do what they do. And I wanted to come up with a way of analyzing people's behavior because when I first got into rhetoric, I was led to understand that rhetoric is the analysis of something that has already happened. So... So I wanted to be able to understand motives within that. And I wanted to come up with a model that would help you uh, analyze and understand motives. And that's where, that's where fear really came, came into it. So having gotten involved in Kenneth Burke and a lot of that, that theory, the dramatistic pentad, we can, I can get into more later. But it led me to ask the question of what motivates people? Why do people do what they do? And I wanted to come up with a way of understanding that without getting bogged down in too much of the minutiae because I, I get from all kinds of angles that there are no real ways of understanding <laughs> why people do what they do. That's an impossible task. You can never know why exactly why somebody did something. And so understanding that 
I had to look at a bigger picture and say, okay, well, let's look at human behavior and how, you know, how people behave in different circumstances. And there's a lot of information on that. So I wanted to take rhetoric from this analytical tool uh, of just analyzing artifacts to something that could be applied in real time. And motive seemed to be my way in. And fear came up first as the, the motivator. Because when you think about why things do what they do, first and foremost, it's survival. And so I needed a way to understand and place the role of survival into the framework. And fear is how that manifested itself uh, that survival manifested itself in my theory. And keep in mind, this is my personal theory on how the world works. <laughs> this is this is to help me understand the world. This isn't uh, something I'm going to go publish um, and say this is exactly how it is. Like, no, no, no. This is my philosophy and, and my theory. And at a glance, the skimmed over version, I'm sure, sounds really weird. But hopefully this will all come together eventually. Uh, and I feel like I'm not explaining all of this in depth enough. But fear fear came first. And uh, the reason for that is because we all have this fight or flight response. Our first motivation is to not die. Uh, is to keep going. And uh, the struggle to survive is very real. And so even though we don't consider that in our daily lives, in our modern world, it's still the root of what we are and the reason is because fear is an emotion the first emotion I think and emotions are manifestations of our feelings and our feelings are descriptions of our physical state of being so if you say I feel tired or I feel uh, exhausted or I feel sad or I feel pick an emotion you know, I feel happy. Well, what does happy feel like? Happy feels like probably comfortable, not too cold, not too hot. Uh, all of those things that we assign the word happy to. So these emotional states are what our conscious, you know, our cognitive brain does with all of that information. But fear comes from all of the bad places. Dark, cold, uncomfortable, terrified, uh, pain. That's fear. We're afraid of all of the things that will end us and, and all of the things that will, will make it go away. And so fear became the first motivator. And, uh, and so I realized that I wasn't going to go through and find every little thing that motivates every little monkey. So I wanted to understand it from a bigger picture, but in a way that you could make individual or you could understand in, in real time or in the presence of, of someone that had some individuality to it. But no, no more individuality than we have. And so fear became the first obvious motivator, survival, you know. Um, and of course that, that all sounds simple and, and common sense, but it's knowing that that plays a role in the way that we communicate. And this is where you get into deception detection and Paul Ekman and micro expressions and body language and paralanguage and the list goes on and on and on. Those are all necessary tools if you're going to take a theory like fear, power, and novelty and try and apply it in real time.
because it takes massive amounts of data to make a more and more narrow uh, prediction. And, uh, and you're still not making exact predictions. It's still best guess. And the reason it's best guess is because you have to have these big, vague starting points like fear. So, like I said, uh, fear, power, and novelty is the name of the, the motivation theory, the underlying. And fear came about first because it's the fight or flight. It's the, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We want to be comfortable. And so we're motivated to move away from a position of fear and to try and, uh, and overcome that fear. And that's how power uh, came next because power is the control that, that we have, have over this. And there are a couple of ways to think about uh, about power, but you know, and authority is one that comes to mind uh, after a lot reading a lot of today's news. But but power is the control aspect. Uh, you remember in truth, love, and peace, truth, information is power. Uh, but in the scary version of things, authority and and just uh, physical power becomes control, and that's something that uh, that is very motivating and the reason that it's part of the motivation is because we, we have to connect this emotional internal self with our context which is our environment and it novelty on this side of the coin it's peace in the ideal form but it's novelty in a chaotic world or from a motivation standpoint and the reason that you have to include context is because you have to account for everything that's happened historically because nothing exists and happens in a vacuum and we are the sum of all of our experiences and so we we use novelty because novelty only is novel because we have all of history to compare it to so that gives us a very specific context and an understanding of a circumstance within a context which ties together what little control we have or think we have over a situation or a contrived control, which is power or authority, coupled with fear and novelty. Now, within that triangle are most of the motivations for you, if you want to call it the dark side of the coin, without altruism, you know, in the name of survival and uh, in the name of, of getting by. This is, this is the survival version uh, of these motivations. And so the darker side. And when I was, this is when I was 26. So this was 10 years ago that I was coming up with this stuff. And, um, and yeah, I was, it was a different, I had a different mindset then. Uh, so it was a lot scarier. And I tried for a long time to figure out how, how you could have, just these three things that were motivating people without the altruism and I I experimented and thought about a lot of different ways of how you could understand someone acting from a position of power or towards a position of power and how all of these things interplayed with each other to understand a person's potential state of being for their motives so I know that sounds really really way out there and, and why would you go through all this trouble um, the reason I went through all that trouble is because I wanted to be able to 
figure out where people were coming from as part of a check mechanism for myself. And so part of understanding what I believe is to better understand the world around me. And one of the first things you have to do in better understanding the world around you is turn off all the pre-programming. And there are a lot of things that our brains are programmed to do, like make a ton of stereotypical judgments about our circumstances to survive. And that plays into fear. And so one of the reasons that I needed these vague overlaying concepts that I could then reduce down through this triangulation is because I knew that I needed to overcome the faulty programming. And so I would have to stop myself and say, okay, that's the stereotypical response that you're making based on some experiences that you've had and have been exaggerated. So, but that's not the truth. That's just your initial perception. So you need to put that one down and you need to come up with a better judgment, if you will. And so I came up with this starting point to reduce down very quickly so that I could make better judgments. And having a fixed position to begin analyzing information makes it a lot easier to get good information. And the reason that that's significant is because it's the kind of thing that we wish we could teach our children when we tell them don't talk to strangers. Uh, all of the information that we want to convey and be wary of unfamiliar things goes along with understanding the motives behind all those scary things. So if you could teach small children to understand that uh, the motives that these people have for wanting to give them a kitten or, uh, or share some candy with them uh, may not be what they seem at first glance. And so not just tell them to run away, but help them understand what their reactions are to this and help them understand how to see other people. And I know that's a big concept for kids to get, but it's not so big when you think that teeny tiny children manipulate their parents through lying all the time. And so it's not such a foreign concept and, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't just not introduce it to our children. And that's one of the reasons that I got real into motives, uh, because if we can understand the motives of the people that are telling us things, then we can better eliminate our own confirmation biases and we can better filter through fake news and all this other BS. By understanding the motives of the messages that are coming at us, we can filter through crap faster. So. You know, when you see clickbait on the internet, if you look at it and one of your first thoughts is, well, why am, is someone showing that to me? It's probably not for your health, you know? And so having that simple reaction and, and thinking just that little bit about it can go a really long way. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to find a means of quickly understanding people's motives. And fear is the, the first driving factor because if you make someone uncomfortable, they will immediately go into a fight or flight response. And whether they freak out in their head or not, their body is going to respond in a certain way. And that physiological chemical reaction is going to cause them to behave in what become more and more predictable patterns. And so 
If you understand that someone is coming from a fearful position, you know immediately that you're dealing with dopamine and, and some pretty heady chemicals that can alter people's states of consciousness and that you need to maybe take that with a grain of salt and uh, and not be too upset if someone's really upset themselves because um, just fueling that fire doesn't help and that's another reason that knowing what someone is motivated by becomes very beneficial because if if you can ascertain very quickly that this person is not yelling at me because they're my boss and they're in charge, but they're yelling at me for my own survival, then it becomes very apparent why being able to make that distinction uh, is something, that, one, that we can do naturally, and you don't need me to tell you to do, but it plays a role in a piece, in a bigger puzzle that gives us information that can tell us a lot more about why people behave in the manner that they do and so not just in a survival situation but in and I was real big into politics at the time and so catching people in a lie was one of my favorite things to do and being able to very quickly boil down things that you could chalk off the list like okay well this person is obviously speaking from a position of authority which is contrived power uh, for some purpose. Well, and this is where the two theories kind of start to come together because someone who speaks from authority doesn't have real control. They, they have this temporary power because information... Hey, kitty cat, it's not out of me. Snug up on me. Because uh, having, having all the information is real control. That's real... That's real power. Uh, and having this temporary authority, this temporary power, um, is not, not going to last forever. And so there's often a lot of fear that comes out of someone who has power for the first time and tries to impose that power. And so you can see very quickly by understanding just those three dynamics if someone is really afraid but they're trying to execute their authority that requires a different tact to persuade them away from whatever it is that's motivating them and therein lies the bigger purpose of having a communication theory about motives because if you want to persuade anyone to think differently than they already do you have to understand what they already believe and so by taking superficial information, easily observable information, and being able to link it back to broader behaviors that can help you better understand a person's state of being that might give you insight into their state of mind. It can help you persuade them to do something other than whatever it is they're doing at the moment. So, <clears throat> sorry, just got a text message. So there you go. That's me kind of rambling about fear for a minute. So we're going to take, uh, take a look at this. Batteries are starting to die and all that good stuff. Uh, we'll see if the Facebook stream is held up. Um, it looks like we've got a solid 27 minutes on here from the...
Come to Facebook Live. Uh, did it really go down? All that time ago? I don't know. It says that it's live right now. Yeah, okay, cool. I just can't see all the comments. If there are. Merry Christmas, Miley. I can see that comment. Let's close that for a second. Oh, look. There's the YouTube. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on the um, the fear, power, and the novelty thing. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I wanted to get that out there so we can start talking with some people about some other things. So it kind of started with fear. It was about motivation and uh, and fear, power, and novelty, and how novelty is related to the context and power is very much about authority and a, uh, an attempt at control uh, even if it is kind of a feeble one and and yeah so uh, we're going to take this in a lot of different directions so that's going to be the underlying philosophy that we talk to some people with but we're going to get into some real some fun conspiracy theory stuff all kinds of craziness uh, should be a really really good time so so yeah <coughs> all right so all the batteries are about to die so there you have it uh, Fear, power, and novelty is the theory that I put together about motivation that led me to look at the other side of that coin, which is truth, love, and peace. And that's the theory, the worldview, the belief the, that I have. And one of the reasons that I came up with that is because uh, someone challenged me to better understand what it is that I believe and to better know what it is I believe. And I wanted to come up with a way to know myself, which is know my own system and understand how I can take in information and overcome my intellectual shortcomings to learn and get better and eventually, I don't know, figure out what in the world's going on here. No, we've already, we figured that out a long time ago. We'll tell you the, the secret one day. But, um, but until then, yeah. Happy trails. Truth, love, and peace. Love y'all. Thanks for joining us. I can't wait to catch up uh, with everybody in the comments. I hope uh, Facebook held out. And um, check it out on YouTube. Compton Smith is my page. Uh, you can find the live stream, subscribe, the whole nine yards. You know how YouTube works. <clears throat> Please give us a share, pass it along, spread the word if you can. That'd be awesome. Um... I can't think of anything else. So I'm gonna sign off the YouTube live. Truth, love, and peace.